Therefore, holy brothers, you share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. This is the word of God. We all have people that we uh, look up to and admire. We all have people that inspire us and encourage us in our Christian walk. Many of us look to somebody who shared the gospel with us or somebody who had a great impact in our own life. Somebody who helped us a lot along the way. But what happens if that person, maybe the person you're thinking of right now, what happens if that person that we admire, that we look up to, that we strive to imitate, what happens when, when they mess up? What happens when they screw up? Unfortunately, it's not surprising anymore to see a high-profile Christian be exposed for egregious sins, whether it's pride or apostasy or money or sexual sins. Even this week, news broke of a, a Christian leader who was discovered to have abused and hurt many women before his death last year. And it is disgusting and it's wrong on so many levels. But it's not just famous people either, quote-unquote famous people. There are many leaders in local churches who you don't know have done kind of the same thing. And maybe you have seen that situation played out in your own life as well. If not, you will maybe someday experience that or see that. And the question is, is that what do we do in that kind of situation? Some people will say that when that happens, I've seen this publicly on social media, I've heard it in other people's lives where they say, my faith is ruined when that happens. Especially if it's somebody that you know, right? And it can be very shocking. And so I could see why people would react in that way. But this is not a good reaction. This is not a proper reaction to an event like this. Because we are not saved by a preacher. We're not saved by our teacher. We are saved by Christ. And so the gospel is good news about Jesus Christ. It's news. It's good news. So in a sense, really, it doesn't matter who tells you that news. And it doesn't matter what their motives are. And it doesn't even matter, honestly, if they believe it. So it doesn't matter if they fall into sin. Because you're not saved by your favorite Christian teacher's preaching. You are saved by Christ. And if the gospel preacher fails, well, the gospel never fails. The gospel never fails. But there can be a problem in our life if we start to elevate the teaching of a certain person above God's word. Even if they don't fall, even if they don't fall into sin, even if they are still there and are good Bible teachers, we can't elevate people above Scripture and above Jesus Christ. And that's the point of the message today here in the Scripture, 
is that, you know, Christian leaders will fall, and that's a possibility, not all of them, but it's a possibility. But no matter what, no matter what happens, we need to always be looking to Jesus above any other person for your confidence and your hope. And that's the big idea of today's message. That's what the writer of Hebrews is addressing to his audience. Look to Jesus more than any other person for your confidence and for your hope today. And actually, before you look, you need to consider or give careful thought to what we are about to hear. And I want to encourage us to consider four different kinds of people, four different types of people, four people that are addressed here for you to think about. First of all, consider the brethren or consider the brothers and sisters to whom he is writing here. Now, he's referring to these people with a special kind of relationship when he says that they are brothers. And we see this in other letters, that we see that written three more times in the book of Hebrews. We talked about it this morning in Course Seminar, how if we are members of the local church, if we are united in Christ, we are brothers and sisters, that special kind of relationship. Because we know that we are united because of the blood of Christ. We're part of the family of God. And it says that we share in the same confession. Confession means literally to say the same thing. So as family members together, we are united in the name of Christ. And we can confess or say together that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we speak that with our mouth. We confess with one voice that Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord above all. And we say that with one voice. But notice the qualifier he puts there in front of the word brothers. He calls them holy brothers. So that's the nature of their relationship with each other. Because if brothers describes their union with Christ, well then holy is the most important characteristic of those brothers and sisters in Christ. They have been made holy. We have been made holy or been sanctified by Christ's work for us on the cross. And then he says that privilege that follows with that is holy brothers and sisters. Not only brothers, he says, but heavenly partakers. And so that speaks of their rich privilege that they have. So they have the position of brothers and sisters. They have the characteristics of, of their relationship as they are holy. And the privilege that comes along with that is they are partakers. Partakers, he says there. The word partakers occurs at various points in this letter, and it basically talks about the participation in a common form of blessing and privilege, the participation of being together. And as recipients of this letter, they were called from above. We are called from heaven. And the Lord God addressed us in Christ clearly and perfectly where he says here that in Hebrews chapter 1, as he has spoken to us by his son. But we're not only called from heaven by the Father, but we are called to heaven as we get to be partakers and sharers with Christ in his glory. It's what Paul mentioned in the letter to the Philippians that we are called upward, an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we are called to be united together. We are called united under the banner of Jesus Christ. And he calls us to glory in the great future that he has prepared for us. That's the benefit of being holy brothers, partakers of the glory that he mentions to these people here. And that all, that work that God is doing, he's already talked about this through the work of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 2. What we've already covered here, looking at what Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. And now he's, I want us to consider the brothers and sisters address in this letter here. And then consider Jesus. Fix your eyes continuously on Jesus. 
the writer has been talking for two chapters about who Jesus is, how Jesus is the Son of God who took on flesh and bones just like us. And he says Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the law. And now he turns to the lawgiver, Moses, to say that Jesus is even greater than Moses. I think it's hard for us to realize, to wrap our arms around, wrap our minds around just the position that Moses held in the people's hearts and thoughts and in their lives. Other than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were the patriarchs, you know, the people that God used to start the nation, right? Moses had that kind of a position. He was he could be considered a founding father of the nation of Israel. I would say that it's probably the closest thing that we could relate today is probably President George Washington. You know, the first Americans, I've watched a documentary on George Washington. The first Americans admired him so much that they wanted to make him king. But he didn't want it. He wanted to go back to being a farmer. In fact, he served two terms. They had to twist his arm to serve a second term. And then he retired and said, no, I'm not going to be king. They wanted to call him your highness. And he said, no, that's why we called the president. A lot of the things that we do with the president now and the way they treat like President Biden and um, it actually all, a lot of it started with George Washington and they followed his example so much that after two terms, he stepped away. And for a hundred years, every president didn't, didn't want to serve more than George Washington because he had set the example so much. He was so highly revered and regarded. In fact, did you know his birthday's coming up and every year Congress reads his farewell address to Congress on his birthday. And they alternate. A Democrat does one year and a Republican does it the next year and a Democrat does it and a Republican does it. And it's so unifying for Congress that they come together in the separate parties to read his farewell address. Every year it takes place. It still takes place. Over 150 years now they've been doing it. Well, just like George Washington is called the founder or the father of our nation, the Jewish people looked at Moses in some of the same ways that Moses was revered as the greatest Hebrew of all time, and in fact, the greatest man in history. And so it'll be helpful to have a good grasp of Moses in order to fully understand what the author is saying here when he compares Jesus to Moses, to show that Jesus is greater than Moses. So let's consider Moses. First of all, Moses was divinely chosen. Now, he didn't have a miraculous birth, but it was a miracle that he survived infanthood. If you remember when he was born, it was at a time where Pharaoh said, throw all the baby boys into the Nile River. But his mother placed him in a basket and put him in the river until he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And then she wanted to keep him, so she raised Moses in the palace. But as a man, his, uh, he was saved from death as a baby. And his election as a deliverer was, was secure and sealed when God said, my name is I am, revealed himself to Moses and called and ordained him at the burning bush. Moses also became unequaled deliverer of his people through the paralleled, unparalleled power of, the, of God when his people were enslaved in Egypt. In Exodus, we read about the plagues on the Egyptians and about Moses' leadership in guiding the Hebrew people out of slavery and then into the promised land. And thirdly, we see that Moses was the greatest prophet as well. God communicated to other prophets indirectly through various means, but he communicated directly to Moses. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, in Numbers 12, 6 through 8, God himself explained 
his relationship with Moses and said this, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is a faithful, he is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. And God said, I speak to Moses mouth to mouth or face to face. Unlike anybody else the Yahweh had ever spoken with, he spoke with Moses face to face or mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles, so that he could experience the full glory of the Lord. In fact, when Moses would go in to speak with Yahweh the Lord, his face would radiate from the glory of the Lord that Moses had to veil his face to keep from blinding people from God's glorious light. And fourthly, Moses, was uh, he had that special place. He was elected. He was the deliverer. He was uh, the one that God spoke to. But he was also the lawgiver, or rather the law receiver, whenever he met with the Lord on Mount Sinai. And God gave him the Ten Commandments. Everything in their world revolved around the law. In fact, they called it what? The law of Moses. It was the law of Yahweh. It was the law of the Lord given through Moses. But that was the place that they said, this is the Mosaic law or the law of Moses. And that just shows you how much the people said they tied the idea and the thinking of Moses with the law of God. And remember, uh, it's hard to forget that Moses was the greatest historian as well. That through the Lord revealed to him, Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And the record of history from the beginning of time up to about 1400 BC was all recorded by Moses. Ben and I were talking about how uh, we think Moses was the one who created the first alphabet. And we were talking about a documentary that lays out the possibility, a theory, that there was hieroglyphics that he was familiar with from Moses. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's castle. But using hieroglyphics came up with the Hebrew script and created an alphabet which was used throughout the Middle East from, from a long time ago. So Moses was a special person, right? But you know what is also interesting about Moses? He was also very meek and humble. In Numbers 12.3, it says, more than all the other people on the face of the earth, that Moses was the most humble. Now, some people would say, okay, that has to be like an edit. Somebody probably added that because if he was the most humble and he wrote it, why did he write, I'm the most humble person? Now, that's hard to say, but I do believe that Moses could have gotten a real big head because God used them in amazing ways, even despite himself, honestly, because Moses said, well, I can't talk in front of Moses. I, 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 I like he had a stutter. He had something wrong with him. And he says, I can't talk. We think it was a stutter. And God said, okay, well, then your brother will come along with you. But it was, you know, Moses could have said, wow, even though I had difficulties, I overcame them and I am the best. But no, he was humble. He knew his position and he knew because it was God working in his life that God chose him, that God put him in the position, that God made him the deliverer, that God used him. And so Moses was the person, Moses was the person that everybody looked up to. So you can see why he was the greatest and the humblest person who ever lived. Well, especially according to them. And he was, um, you could also say that he was a great apostle and a great priest as well of his people. He was highly respected. I mentioned how Moses would go into the tent and meet with Yahweh. It says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 8, that whenever Moses went into the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his door and watch until Moses had gone into the tent. I mean, he was, 
That means he was functioning like a priest. He was going to the Lord and the people were watching him go and meet with the Lord on behalf of the people. Now we know that um, his brother Aaron served as the, the great high priest, but in a lot of ways Moses functioned like a priest as well because like I said, he would meet with God on behalf of the people. We know that whenever um, he was, um, the Israelites were going out to battle, Moses had to intercede and hold up his hands and as long as he kept his hands up, the battle was being won. But when his hands would get tired and he let him fall, then the, the Israelites would lose. And so Aaron on one side and Hur on the other side would hold up his hands. And so he was functioning as a priest. He was functioning as the go-between between Yahweh working through him to the people. And Moses had uh, also, when he ended up, when he died, it says in Deuteronomy that the, the Lord himself buried Moses in an anonymous grave so that nobody could go worship his burial location. And then the book of Deuteronomy closes with these words from chapter 34, verses 10 through 12. It says, There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. I mean, you see how Moses was simply the greatest. And you see how now the writer of Hebrews, or whether it was uh, one big sermon, we know that the author of Hebrews, writing to these people, he starts out in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, saying that Jesus was the Son of God in the flesh, and that God had visited his people in the person of Jesus, and that Jesus is greater than the angels, the greatest spiritual person, and then Jesus is greater than the law, and the law was given to Moses through the work of the angels on Mount Sinai. So you can see he goes from angels to law, and now who would you go to next? The greatest person, Moses, the lawgiver. So you know why now it says here that he goes to Moses, and the author isn't taking anything away from Moses. In fact, it says right here in Hebrews 3, 2, that Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Like I just read from the book of Deuteronomy and Numbers, Moses was faithful to his calling. And Moses was great. He was faithful. But Moses wasn't perfect. And that's what we need to understand here. Even though he was a great leader, no human leader is perfect. So let's consider Jesus. Let's consider Jesus in relation to Moses. First of all, Jesus is here called the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, this is the only time that the word apostle is used to refer to Jesus here. It's a title used for Jesus. The word apostle, as we know that his 12 disciples were called the 12 apostles, the word apostle here means a sent one, like an ambassador or an envoy to another country. That's the word apostle here. It literally means one who is sent because Jesus was sent from the Father in heaven to be our Savior and to be our high priest. And so we're going to, actually, the book of Hebrews goes into this in great detail in later chapters, how Jesus functions as our high priest. So we'll get into that more in the future. We talked a little bit about it before, but basically, a priest, like I said, to, to simplify it, a priest is one who serves as a mediator between God and man, and that's who Jesus is. That Jesus is the mediator that we need because we are sinful and he is sinless. 
And so we can only come to the Father through faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. So Moses did function like a priest, but Jesus is a greater priest. He is our great high priest and our apostle. And like I said, there were similarities in the two between Moses and Jesus. And those characteristics that I mentioned of Moses, how he was elected, how he was chosen for a task, he was appointed, he served in the function of priest, he was faithful to his calling. All of those things are really similar between Moses and Jesus, but there are really big differences because it says in verse 3, Jesus is counted worthy as more glory than Moses. And then he uses this illustration here. An illustration that I love how the author of Hebrews, like I said, a lot of times he gives us great illustrations to understand what he's talking about. And he talks about a house and a builder of a house. Now, you've seen houses, right? You live in one. You wouldn't go up to a house, especially a new house, and be like, wow, good job, house. You look great, house, right? Let's say you, go, you have a brand new house, right? And it just got built, and you walk up to, like, they're putting the finishing touches on it, and you walk up to the house and say, man, house, you look amazing. You know, good job. That's just ridiculous. You would say, good job, builder, right? Good job, architect, designing the house. Way to put it all together, painter and roofer and everybody who worked on the house. There's no glory in the house except for the one who built the house. You could admire the house, but you understand that the house didn't do anything to build itself. It was just built. And that's what the author is saying here. He's saying, you didn't do anything to save yourself, right? You were put together by a creator. And then you were dead in your sins and trespasses, and you were saved by somebody else. You were saved by Jesus. And it's an excellent reminder here that God is the builder of his people, and God is the one who gets the credit. God is the one who gets the glory for the work that he does in our lives. And the word house here, of course, you know, it's double meaning. House can be a house, but when you talk about like the house of Baldwin, you, can, you know I'm talking about the family, right? Because that's, that's a dual meaning there, and that's how it's used in Scripture as well here. And so we know that God is building his people for his glory for all of eternity. And so you can see how he uses that illustration to say, and to teach that Jesus is superior and Jesus is above and Jesus is greater than Moses. Yes, they had similarities of both being faithful to their appointments, but it was different. Look in verse 5 and 6. Here's how one of the ways you can see in Scripture it's different. Moses was faithful in, in all of God's house, but Christ is faithful over God's house. You see, there's a difference between being in somebody's house as opposed to being the owner of the house. And that's what we see here. Moses was not an owner. He was a faithful servant, but he was not an owner. And Jesus is the owner. And Jesus is the owner because he's not just a servant, but he's a son. And like we learned in Hebrews chapter 1, he is the heir of all things. And the son operates in conjunction with the father. Their wills are perfectly aligned. And the son is superior to the servant, even the greatest servant of all, which is Moses. And from this passage, we also learn that Moses, it says uh, in verse 5 here, at the end of verse 5, that he testified to the things that were to be spoken of later. That means later in the future. Now, we don't know. I always wonder, did the Old Testament prophets know exactly what they were prophesying about, how it was going to be fulfilled in Jesus? They might have had an idea, but I'm sure they didn't know like that God was going to come in the flesh. That's shocking. 
But Jesus actually, when he was teaching about himself, talking to the people that were familiar with Moses and who knew the law of Moses backward and forward, Jesus said, Moses was writing about me. Just like the author of Hebrews said. He didn't fully grasp it, but what he was writing about was me. In fact, in John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47, Jesus is teaching the same things here that Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 says. In John 5, 46 and 47, he says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he, Moses, wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So in other words, Jesus told the people that he was teaching, if you don't believe Moses, then you're not going to believe me. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. You know, some people don't get it. Back then, when Moses, like I said, or the other prophets, they didn't fully understand it. When Jesus was, was preaching, when the Hebrews was written and preached, they didn't fully grasp it. Even today, some people, when they're reading the Old Testament, or they're reading the, the, the law, or the, even the prophets, or you know, even the Psalms, they don't realize that it's all testifying about Jesus Christ. That it's all a foreshadow, looking forward to the true, it was just Jesus Christ. Through the types and the shadows and the prophecies and the promises that were to be fulfilled, the gospel is there in the Old Testament. And Moses was a faithful servant to testify to these promises that would find their yes and amen in Jesus. And the author of Hebrews goes on. This is why I, I'm so excited about Hebrews. He goes on to talk about the priesthood and the sacrifices and how the, all of the Old Testament covenantal system served the same function, that they were pointing ahead to the reality of Jesus Christ. And Moses was faithful to discharge all of his duties in the household of God by pointing to someone greater than himself. Christ fulfilled all that Moses was in all of Moses' writings and all of his teachings, and that Christ is superior to Moses, and Moses would have affirmed that as well. And so we look at this passage of Scripture, and I encourage us to, to consider the brothers, consider Moses, and then finally to consider Jesus Christ and who he is and, and why he came here. And finally, I ask you to consider yourself to consider yourself. Look at the second half of verse 6 here. It says, We are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. The household is referring to God's people, but there is a warning here. It says, If we indeed hold fast and persevere. So that's a good reminder here that our faith is totally the work of God. It's grace that has saved me and grace that sustains me. It is faith that endures to the end. One of the marks of true saving faith is faith that lasts. And so I don't believe that a person can lose their salvation because I don't believe I did anything on my own in order to save myself. But I do believe that one of the marks of true salvation is perseverance to the end. And so if a person claims to make a decision for Christ, but then they fall away, if they just, you know, decide it's not for them, then I don't believe they were truly saved to begin with. And so they, they do have an opportunity, though, to repent, to turn from, from pretending and to turn to salvation in Jesus. So I encourage you to consider yourself. Maybe you heard the gospel message growing up, or maybe you came to it later in life and you thought, oh, I'll check it out. I'll consider it. 
It sounds good. I'll give it a try. But maybe you didn't fully grasp that you were totally forgiven and you had trouble living with God's grace. You thought that you got in the household of God by grace, the household of God's family by grace, but deep down you thought you had to earn your keep by working hard to stay in God's house. These first listeners here, they had a tendency to maybe return to the sacrificial system or the teaching of Judaism that they had grown up with. We might turn to legalism to think that we're keeping it by ourselves in our own work. Either way, what we're doing is falling back to a works-based system of approval. And so I encourage you, if that's you, to consider yourself, know that it's not going to last, and to repent and turn to the Lord while you still can. Or maybe you've seen the falling of one of your Christian heroes of the faith, like I talked about earlier, and you left dejected and disappointed. Maybe you decide that Christianity isn't for you because of that. And to that, I will say, honestly, that doesn't make any sense because you didn't really fully understand Christianity. We don't follow a human. We follow Jesus. We follow the Messiah, the Son of God. And like Paul said, we don't preach cleverly devised myths. We preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we don't win people to Christ by winning an argument. We point to Jesus and pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work in their life. And so if you leave your Christian faith behind because your favorite Bible teacher, dead or alive, sinned horribly or covered up something, well, that reveals that your hope and your joy was in that person, not named Jesus. And so, like I said at the beginning, we, need, we shouldn't put a, a Christian teacher above Jesus Christ. Or some might say, well, what if bad things happen to us? Well, I got news for you. Bad things are going to happen to you. <laughs> That's called life, right? So let's pray for one another and encourage one another. Let's pray for ourselves to hold tightly to Jesus because Jesus is holding tightly to us. He has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. So when bad things come in life and they will come in life, that's not God disliking you. That's not God hating you. Know that he's with you. He's got you. He's got you. He's holding on to you. We are his house, he says here. We are his house. We have this, if we have the spirit of Christ living in us, that's the Holy Spirit, that means that we are saved. He is with us all the time. That should be an encouragement to us that Jesus has not left us and that Jesus has sent his comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be with us. And we get to be a part of the holy house. Like scripture also talks about, like in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, you yourselves, so plural now, you are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he says, not only are we individually part of God's house, but he's building us up in the household of God, the spiritual house, so that Christ is in us and Christ is with us. He is among us. He is here. And so finally, I want to encourage you to do what the author says here, to consider yourself as you consider Jesus, because that's how he begins in verse 1 here. Remember who you are in Christ. If you are the holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, he says here. And the word consider in verse 1 here, it can mean to observe intently or to give their careful thought to. And this is what you should be doing every day. I like to use the word, um, when he says consider, it can also mean to, to meditate or to ruminate. 
to think on, to slow down and think about. It means to reflect, uh, to, to think through, pray reflectively about Jesus Christ as you read and, and work through his word. And so I, I want to encourage you to consider Jesus in that way this week, to take time to do that. It doesn't have to be a long passage. You can go back and look at Hebrews 1 and 2, what we've been talking about here in Hebrews chapter 3, and think about it. Think about it. Take some time to really think about what Jesus has done for us. And trust in Jesus by faith. And trust that his righteousness is credited to you and that it will never fail. Because he is our only hope. And he is our only boast. Focus on Christ. Hold on to Christ. He is the great apostle. He is the great high priest. And he is the one who will never leave us and who is always going to be with us. And hold on to those promises as you consider Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that when we were dead in our sins, you came and you saved us. And we thank you for the promises in your word right here. We pray that we would consider Jesus. If we haven't considered Jesus in our own life, if we are still dead in our sins and trespasses, I pray that you would, you would save us. Give us the faith that we need to turn from sin and turn and trust in Jesus. And God, I pray that you would allow us the time to really take thought of, think deeply about Jesus this week. Because we are part of your family, your spiritual house, as your word has taught us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.